win every game, go 82-0. The only Mavericks podcast, without a podcast around, would you even know? The only Mavericks podcast, the night is long without some audio. The only Mavericks podcast, look there, a podcast shaped hole. This is the only Mavericks podcast in the world. Hello, welcome to the only Mavericks podcast. The only Mavericks podcast that, like the Mavericks, uh, loses the podcast we shouldn't and wins the ones we uh, we aren't supposed to. Def, flip that around. Lose, loses the ones we should. Loses the ones we, you know, it really depends loses wins it all blends together we're we're losing this metaphor maybe we'll win the next one uh you know that's the tim cato story uh and that's who i am i write and talk about the mavericks uh do a lot of it for the athletic uh do a lot of it for this podcast you're austin guria austin how are you i'm good i'm trying to stay warm it's very cold outside and but you know who's not cold tim hardaway jr he's always hot in a lot of ways (laughs) you should have seen his fit tonight we, we've Lewis talked about this. Fits. I, I think I think in terms of of player fashion, it's Tim Hardaway number one by a mile. Like there's a huge gap after him, and then I, I think Maxi and Josh Green both. I like what their stylists are doing, even though it's it's not always like for me. But the like I think I think they have like coherent ideas about what they're trying to do. And then after that, I I don't know I don't know I don't have any I don't uh, Grant Williams last last. <laughs> Maxie's a cozy fit guy. Dwight, I would never wear anything that he wears, but it it also has an idea at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got to put Dwight up there. Dwight, Dwight's definitely high up there. It's just it's it's you know much more classic menswear in a way that is not uh you know just doesn't jive with with a lot of you know you you see him with a casual fit on and you're like okay I respect that as well and he's got a millennial menswear aesthetic going. He he would love the menswear Twitter account. <laughs> I guarantee you he follows it. Just picking up a lot of anyway, the Mavericks, uh the Mavericks one, we're recording Monday night. The Mavericks just beat the Pelicans 125-120. Uh the Mavericks lost to the Pelicans two days ago uh in a game that the Pelicans played none of their starters or stars, um, or almost none of them. Uh, you know, four players resting for for that game. And this finishes up a five and two road trip where the Mavericks lost to two teams they absolutely should not have. Uh, you know, two instances where we're like, you know, those are, you know, if you said five and two and you looked at this road stand, you know, there, there, there would be two games that would be like, all right, it makes sense that they lost those two. Uh, you know, there'd be five games, you know, including the two they lost that you'd be like, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they picked up some wins that they should. And it just leaves us um, in, in, a, in a weird, funny spot. Uh, I saw you tweet something to the effect of, of, uh, you know, have we learned anything about the Mavericks on on this road stand? Well, we'll get to that. But but I think I think the game that just happened, especially since we're recording just two hours after it happened, uh, deserves a little uh, hyperfixation because it is not very often that two teammates score forty plus points in an NBA game. It's becoming a little bit more common. Um, the last time it happened was Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, and now it's Kyrie Irving and Tim Hardaway Jr. That is that was an all time offensive carry job by two players in a 
you know, just scintillating way like that. That that was so impressive what those two players were able to do. You know, Kyrie has been on a, you know, I guess really both of them like Kyrie and Hardaway have been, you know, unconscious for a few games. And, and Kyrie really just in general since he came back. Um, like, how, how do you how do you even describe what those two guys did on, on Monday? You know, it was it really was a, a carry job. You know, it's it's always, you're going to say it, was a, it really was a tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> it's you know what? It's I think that kind of performance. That's what Dr. King would have wanted. Um, it, it, yeah, I'm hearing he was a big Tim Hardaway Jr. fan. Don't don't quote me on that, but it's just something I've heard in the past. <laughs> um, but I, it was honestly an impressive shooting display. You always forget that sometimes Tim Hardaway Jr. can just kind of lose his mind and go unconscious for an entire game. Um, and so it was cool to see that alongside Kyrie. I think the way Kyrie has been playing in his homestand and just since he came back has been pretty unbelievable. He's like 30 and six, 36 and five on like 50, 40, 90 splits for the entire month. And he, he looks like the guy that they, that started they made, that they desperately needed. Like that's, I think that's what I've been really most impressed with. And in this game specifically, the Pelicans were really guarding Kyrie hard off the ball. Like they were, basically face guarding him the entire length of the court. And I thought he did a really good job in not forcing it. It's it's, it's funny to say that guy who shot 28 times didn't really force the ball, but he just kind of, you know, uh, kind of overplayed. When they when they overplayed him, he kind of got a couple backdoor cuts. He's a, he, whenever like he was just getting shut off off the ball, they went other places. And I think that's why Tamari Jr. got so many shots off in the first place. But I think he really helped open up things for the other Mavericks because they got to play a lot of four and three because there was so much attention on Kyrie. I mean, that was just honestly uh, unbelievable shot making. I think that the Pelicans should be pretty sick that they lost that game because they, there really, really wasn't much going on on offense outside of those two, just absolutely losing their minds. And that was, that was definitely a special one. Yeah. Honestly, it makes me think a little bit about, about Derek Jones and the way that he is able to, to chip in 15 points sometimes. It, yeah. You know, like especially the last game, you know, it was uh, like 22, I want to say. And, and you know, there's just not a lot of people who are capable of of chipping in double digits on this roster. Um, you know, when when Grant Williams is not shooting well or or when Josh Green is Josh Green, actually, he, he had a very commendable, solid performance, a bounce back after really struggling. And, you know, especially, you know, honestly. It was it was a good thing that Jordan Hawkins did not get as many minutes. And, you know, Jordan Hawkins is the type of player that that Josh Green struggles against. Jordan Hawkins is a is a movement uh, shooter and, and Josh Green really struggles with screens and, and he is better. And I think it was Maz Moneyball, Josh Bo pointed this out, that that Josh uh, has been picking up, you know, the the lead ball handers full court. Um, he did that a couple games ago and, and against Jalen Brunson. And that's something that really just disrupted you know, the first seconds of an, of an offense and in the NBA at, at this level, like that, that's so valuable, you know, to, to make a half court offense play with 16 seconds instead of 24 is, is truly something that's, that's important. You know, when we're talking about the, you know, just the, the, the narrowness of what works and what doesn't and, and, you know, how fine the margins are, uh, you know, stuff like that matters. So, um, I don't know. Still, we got to say something more about Tim Hardaway and and, and Kyrie Irving. I, I think Kyrie Kyrie's showing that he can he can pick up when Luca's not like when when Jalen Brunson you know was here a couple nights ago. Uh, I, I wrote a little bit about just the idea of you know which player makes more sense as as the one B, and I wrote about everything around it. It's 
you know, and I, I tried to frame it in, in a certain way of, of just like, you know, this wasn't the Mavericks plan. The Mavericks plan was not to let Jalen Brunson walk, um, you know, and then the decisions that allowed him to even get to the point that he was able to walk. Their plan was not to go replace him with Kyrie Irving. So, so I think you have to look at this and say this, you know, they did not handle this well, but you know, sometimes it's it's not about the process. Sometimes it's about the results. And I, I think that Kyrie Irving, this Kyrie Irving, when he's healthy, when he's when he's out there, um, and you know, this is still a a semi injury prone, you know, guard, small guard past the age of thirty. Um, you know, he he just missed a month. But but when he's healthy and, and the fact that he showed, you know, after a, a semi slow start to the season that he can go be the you know, the one A when when Luca's not out there to be the one A, I, I think that's a enormous takeaway, especially as, you know, I remember thinking as, as Kyrie declined, not maybe not even declined, just lost a half step. Yeah. You know, I remember thinking that early in the season. And I think he has, you know, emphatically said no. No, 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 no. He is still absolutely a a one A player when he needs to be. Yeah, I think he still has that. He's still an All NBA level player and All NBA level guard. He probably won't make the All Star team this year because he missed so many games. But it's good to see that he can still be the guy and carry them for a stretch when they don't have Luca. I mean, that's that's the entire reason he's here, so that they but that Luca doesn't have to do everything and carry so much of the burden, and that when he does miss games, they're able to generate good offense and. And able to win games. I mean, that's that was just the really impressive thing about this this little stretch here without Luca is that they were able to win games against good teams with Kyrie just as the kind of main ball handler, and really without Luca and Dante Exum. So they really didn't have a lot of ball handling and playmaking on the court. And Kyrie was good enough to carry them offensively to make that the case. We talk about the Mavericks going small ball, uh, you know, and they've been very small in stretches over the past few games. But a lot of it is to make up. For, you know, a lot of those small ball lineups are coming when Kyrie has to sit because yeah. in that situation, Jason Kidd feels he has no choice but to put Jaden Hardy, Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr., all, you know, Josh Green, some combination of those four players all out there at once just to overcome the fact that this is a very 1A oriented team and to even get close to kind of replicating some form of offensive ball handling movement, um, you know, just, just competency. He has to put a lot of his small guards out there all at once. And so I, I think that has been, you know, uh, a, a factor in, in the small ball. Obviously the other factor is just his roster small, especially when Derek Lively is out, but, the, but that like, that's one reason why we've been seeing so many guards together at once, because this is very much a one, a oriented team in, in the fact that they've been able to survive you know, in, in some stretches uh, it, when Kyrie sits and, and when Luke has, has, has missed the past couple games, that, that's been part of it. Um, Tim Hardaway, what, what, what's his future? You know, what, what, is, what is his role on, is he the, and I really hate to say it after, after just one of the best games I've ever seen him play. Um, is he the, you know, the Dylan Brooks, the, he's the piece you move on from to win the championship because I've been someone who's beat the drum that thinks that it's probably, that's probably the case, but he's way harder to replace than people. Sometimes just like, you got to get rid of that guy. And and I think a game like tonight, you know, a, a, you know, without him, they lose by 20 probably. Um, You know, I think this shows just how hard it is to replace a player like that. Even if some of his, his, you know, negative qualities are the ones that maybe you you've got to at least minimize or reduce the role of, of you know, reduce the minutes of, you know, some of the defensive uh, 
you know, just flaws. Yeah, I think I think it's tough to have a really elite defensive team if you have Luca, Kyrie, and Hardaway all playing over 30 minutes a game. But Hardaway's clearly not a guy you can just give away or get rid of for for nothing. He's someone that if you trade, you need to get something of value, a person who can come and score 15 points a game. It can't just be for any kind of role player. He does have a lot of value to this team. And the NBA to this point has not seemed to agree on that valuation, which is why yeah. he has not been traded yet. Exactly. And it's I think maybe that'll that's only next season when he's on an, on an expiring deal. Um, but he's he's a good player. There's not that many players who shoot them as many threes as he does and hits him at that that clip. There's like uh, seven players. Yeah, there's like some it's yeah, what he <laughs> yeah. does is very rare. It's there's not like you can't just go find it on the street. Not the and I think a lot of people thought that Jaden Hardy could just kind of fill in and become Tim Hardaway Jr. And he's clearly just not that yet not that player yet maybe a few years down the line that's the case but that's just not the case at the moment um so i think he's gonna stay here as long as they don't have a really good deal lined up for him and he's also a guy who can go out and win you a game he wins them three or four games a year by himself because he just does this he goes he hits nine threes and goes for 30 38 points because he's a prolific shooter and we've also seen him do that in the playoffs i mean that's why he got that contract is that he was their second best player in a playoff series in in 2021 and we haven't seen in the playoffs since then but he he's capable of going and winning a playoff game on his own there's not that many role players you can say that about Did, did i say seven did I say there's like yeah. seven players? I think there's fewer than seven. Well, there there are. He is exactly seventh in the league at uh, catch and shoot three pointers attempted. Wow, six players ahead of him. Wow, yeah. You guess him up. Uh, uh, I, I, I was I was wondering would it, would it be a fun game to guess who's ahead of it? it honestly, it's it's Laurie Markinen, Clay Thompson, Max Struess, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Bogdan. Uh, oh. Buddy Heald is shoots fewer. Oh. Buddy Buddy Heald is tenth in the league. Uh, Eric Gordon, surprisingly, huh. I didn't know he was getting that many up. Yeah, and then uh, Keegan Murray. I didn't know Keegan Murray was getting that many up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric just by by pure minutes. I, I guess he's averaging thirty one. Um, Tim Hardaway is averaging the the fewest minutes. Well, outside of uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, he's averaging the fewest minute uh, the fewest minutes of this of this group. He's also shooting the worst out of those seven that I just uh, mentioned. But, you know, it's 36.4 and, you know, it's about to go up. I I don't think these stats have updated. He's a he's a really he's a player who deserves his plaudits, who deserves to be recognized as legitimately one of the best shooters the NBA has ever seen. And even though he can get a little, you know, tunnel vision, even though obviously his defense does affect this team um you know he tries on that end you know it's it's i think he's i don't think he's um luca at his worst levels of defense i i think he's just someone you've got to really do your best to to you know build a defense like around to hide him and and to find ways to you know and if yeah if he's playing 41 minutes like he had to uh on this night and that 41 minutes won them you know this game um I don't know. It, it, it might just be that, you know, you're not going to win a finals, but you could probably make it to the conference finals with him, um, which is funny that they didn't, uh, you know, that he was out when they when they did go to the conference finals. I don't know, man. He's he's a, he's a hard one to understand. He's, he's a he's very better. confusing player to understand. And we've yes. watched him for five years and we still don't have a real clear, <laughs> clear opinion on him and where where his play should be in the team and, and what his value is. Right, right, right. It was so funny because he, he like in this game, he just kept spotting up and and 
you know, he was taking all, all, so many of his threes were catching shoots, uh, like, like standstill catching shoots where he just rose up, uh, up over the guy. And I'm like, you probably should start guarding him. Um, <laughs> he also talked after the game. He was, he was, uh, I think he knows that his career high is, is 42 and he was pissed at a couple, he was pissed at an open corner three that he missed, but he was really mad at the spin move layup that he botched. Oh, it was a nice move. I saw that, that was, that so was one of the best moves i've ever seen him make yeah i was like i didn't know he had that one in his bag that was a really nice I was well it turns out he does not <laughs> <laughs> all right um before we go big picture uh a couple other players i want to touch on uh from this game uh what do you think of maxi so far two games back i like the decision to play him next to lively and kind of slide him back into that natural secondary run protector thought it was especially in that first quarter you could tell that the difference when it's uh it's lively rotating out and then it's maxi rotating in behind him and not you know grant williams or you know even dante Exum or Kyrie like a, a small guard and i think or luca a lot of or, times. yeah or even luca yeah. yeah and i think it's just it gives them an extra layer of rim protection that they really really need and also he's a he's not a great re- he doesn't get a lot of rebounds but he's a pretty good box guy and he's very strong so i think that also helped him on the boards um so it was really nice to see him back i think he's still obviously getting his legs back under him on the offensive end and his shot doesn't look look great but i thought defensively he added just they just felt like they didn't feel tiny i think they had just a little more presence at the rim and they could handle the physicality because that's the the pelicans facing that zion uh valanchunas front court is probably the most physical front court in the league outside of the timberwolves and i thought they didn't get completely bullied even though zion did kind of have his way um but it was good to see him back i think he's gonna play a lot of four I don't think they're going to make him just hold together the defense at the five anymore like he used to, but I think it's, he's going to get a lot of minutes. And I, it was funny that he, I think he, he would have played more than Grant had he not been on a minutes restriction. It, well, I want to talk about Grant. I thought Grant was yeah. pretty good, but, but I will say on, on Maxi. Yeah. I, I think the answer isn't um, he's the new backup five. I think the answer is that Dwight Powell is a good player. He's a, he's a solid player, man. He's just passing the shit out of it lately. What's up with that? <laughs> Like little um, Jokic, baby Jokic. And, and and so so the solution is not uh bench Dwight Powell and just play Maxi in his minutes. I, I don't think that'd go that much better. I think the, the I think the answer, uh, or I think the, the the problem is that Dwight is small for a center and he plays small. And putting another big man who can stretch next to him is probably the way that that you you know improve those bench lineups and and improve on getting beat up like that. Um I would like to see some, you know, some minutes with Maxi next to Derek Lively. Um, Derek Lively, we don't need to talk about him, but he was just sensational, incredible, incredible awesome. player, incredible player. Uh, the guy rocks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're, um, they're literally a legitimate playoff contender, not a finals contender, but like a very good playoff team with him, and then like barely a playing team without him. Yeah, twenty and ten, I believe, with him in the lineup. Yeah, which is like yeah. a fifty-five win pace. Yeah. <laughs> Higher, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it's up there. Yeah. It's up there. Um what what'd you make of Grant? Because I, I thought I thought the way that he was playing out of the high post, uh, especially the the very last assist he had uh, yeah, to but- Josh Green in the corner, that that was a sensational pass. Uh yeah. just a very, very good pass. Uh, you know, where he kind of he he faked it down low, he faked the drop off and then just rifled it Luca style. Uh I don't think that's hyperbole i mean it was a luca style pass um and it was just it, it was impressive i thought i thought he made some small plays um he also made, made some just 
unbelievable. What what are you doing plays? He had a, you know, he had one, you know, as, as good as he was in the high post, there was one moment where it just got, it got tossed into him and he just dropped it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, zero turnovers on the night, but you know, yeah. Did he win both of his jump balls? I think he won. He won one of them. He had two. He, I thought he, had he might have actually won both of them. But normally, Grant Williams uh, in a jump ball situation, I, I don't. I, I, that that's might that might as well be a turnover. Um, he he has he did maybe the, this man can jump. He has the lowest vertical I've I've ever seen from a player that of that age group. <laughs> yeah, I think Lucas jump. I think Lucas vertical might be higher than his. I I I see. I think it was a good. I think it was a good and necessary game for Grant. Uh, I think yeah. that um, I, I've talked a little bit about Grant to to somebody within the NBA. You know, pe- people within the NBA, and you know, there, there's people who are out there who are like, you know, like, what is this guy doing? I know the Mavs fan base is is very turned on him. Um, this team doesn't have a lot of shooting outside of outside of the shooters. Um, it has a lot of people who will take shots. Derek Jones. Um, Josh Green, if if he's actually lining them up, um, you know, kind of Seth Curry if he's playing, although Seth's oh. shot has not really, yeah, you know, Jaden Hardy if he's on. I think there's a lot of use. Like there, there is a need on this roster for a guy who hits 40 to 42% of his catch and shoot threes. You know, just he's open, he takes them, they go in. And that's what Grant was early in the season. And that is what Grant has not been late in the season. Uh, you know, lately, but I, I think if he can get back there and I, I think he's been dealing with with a couple injuries, one to his wrist, stuff like that. Um, I, I get the frustration because he has been very bad for several games over the past couple weeks. I also think that, you know, a game like this shows that he is the reason they signed him is that they needed more competent NBA players. And if you got this sort of performance, you know, Above average defense, not amazing, but, you know, a big body who can absorb, you know, some of Zion just going straight through him. You know, I think one time Grant was guarding Zion, Zion powered through him, um, but Grant slowed him up enough that that Maxi came over and blocked the shot. You know, it's just a competent NBA player who has skills beyond, um, you know, he looks comfortable with the ball in his hands, you know, maybe too comfortable sometimes, but he looks comfortable with the ball in his hands. And if you added back, you know, just 40% shooting on wide open shots. It would all those, those minutes would make a lot more sense. And I don't think it's a mistake that he played 31 minutes tonight. Yeah. I think he's a player that is pretty dependent on his jumper. He needs to be a high level catch and shoot player. And I think he's frustrating to watch when he's not hitting jumpers because he's not a great player inside the arc. Once he and Celtics fans would say that, right? Yeah. He's a, I heard some Celtics fan refer to him as a, what do he do? (laughs) All-star when he's not hitting his jumper. (laughs) (laughs) And and you know what? I'm, I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see what he got that that moniker, but because, but again, to his credit, this game, he did do he, what, what do he do? Uh, he did, he did, he did some things. I think like seven assists tied for most. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands, but he's not a threat to score inside the arc. And I think sometimes they need somebody who's just like, hey, we just need to get you get you the rim. Especially like, I think in comparison to Derrick Jones Jr., when you see, okay, well, he's going to pump fake and he's just going to go to the rim and get fouled or get a layup or get a crazy dunk. And I think if Grant can kind of utilize more of his playmaking skills, that can kind of make up for that. But also I think because of his size and because he's just not a, he just doesn't have any vertical pop as an athlete, 
he when he gets to the rim, he misses a lot of layups. And I think missing layups on top of missing all three threes will make fans very frustrated. But he's he's a smart player. He knows what to do with the ball in his hands. And I think if he can just start knock, knocking down a few of his jumpers and start playing, I think, better defense, I think, as, as he's getting running back into shape or just kind of, you know, slimming down a little bit, hopefully he'll be, I think he'll be more of a contributor as the season goes on. He's not going to continue to shoot at this rate. Uh, I, I've said this in a couple of places, but he, he started the year thinking he was going to play next to Dwight Powell. And late was was came into the season at a at a at a higher weight than what he played for played at with the Celtics and realized with Derek Lively's emergence that, you know, and also his, you know, semi ineffectiveness at, at times, uh, especially defensively, especially uh, point of attack defense. Like I, I, I've, I've been told like he's, he's slowing back down a little bit and, you know, getting back to his Boston weight. And I think that's probably the right decision based off how, you know, adding a little bit of weight did not make him a four he's too short uh <laughs> but but adding a little bit of weight did definitely make him a, a worse point of attack guy and so i think that's a i think that's a good thing for him takeaways five and two homestand oh i have i have one last thing about the game the the decision to intentionally foul zion we should talk about that, to, yeah. that that was in the moment i was like that's crazy and then i thought about it i was like you know what actually i think that's actually the higher percentage play i think it's actually higher percentage to send him to the free throw line than have him go downhill to the rim because he was shooting like 90 percent at the rim and he wasn't I, and he was he probably could have gotten fouled and gotten an and one and it worked nobody I mean, was stopping him yeah, yeah nobody was stopping him i was like honest, i thought about it, i was like that that was actually the smart play that was a that was pretty it's pretty heads up play by kid to to have him intentionally foul with up only up only two yeah it's it's (laughs) just just one game after i'm just the coach after after (laughs) like after the 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 new addition like the like a babe uh the new jason kid i'm just the coach quote just dropped and then legitimately i loved that call um i i was i was confused when it happened like like on media row we were like wait was was that on purpose like, like, surely that's a really dumb foul. If not, like, what is Maxi doing? But, but even it was very clearly, and you know, I asked Jason afterwards. It was, it was intentional, um, you know. But, but even realizing in the moment, you know, you weren't having Derek Lively in on a critical defensive possession, but you put Maxi in there. It, 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 it made sense after, after I kind of rationalized that. And yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. You know. You know, good chance that he misses one, and then good chance that even if he makes both, you're going to shoot for the win. Um, yeah. So big, big brain kid for the for give the- credit where credit is due, and, and Jason Kidd absolutely deserves it for this one. Yeah, he's just the coach. It, it turns out, coach, it, it, just being the coach, you do have some impact over the game. <laughs> um, this was a weird homestand. Five Very and two, weird. you know, with the with the two losses that you didn't think they should have, but then. You know, I didn't think you could argue this is the new best win of the season, just based off how much it looked like it was not headed towards a win and based off the seeding implications. Like you could make an argument that this team legitimately in the month of January has had Cleveland was the Cleveland game in the month of January, though. That was What's that? I think I think it was the end of December. Yeah, uh, the was... Cleveland game was the worst loss of the season, quickly followed by the Memphis game being the worst loss of the season, quickly followed by New Orleans shorthanded being the worst loss of the season. But I think you can make the same argument that, you know, Minnesota was the best win of the season. And then shorthanded Mavericks beating the Knicks on a hot streak was the best win of the season. I really think you can make an argument this was the best win of the season. And that's a weird thing to 
dissect and try to understand that a team just keeps, you know, upping their highs and, and, you know, stomping on their lows. But I, I think all in all, you have to look at a five and home, uh, five and two homestand with all the players out, um, you know, with the, with the idea that we're still waiting to see what, you know, this new lineup is actually going to look like these, these five players we think probably work best together. Uh, you know, still haven't seen them, um, you know, for more than a game or two. I, I think I think it's good. I, I think being seven games over five hundred at this point of the season is important, and getting a win like this one is is important. And I I, I don't know. It's still a waiting period, but I, I think that Dallas is in a good like they're they're in a good place right now. They're in a good space, and um, you know, as Tim Hardaway Jr. said after the game, you know, it's just like. Man, I re- you know he said something to the effect of, "Man, I really want the guys back." Yeah, I think they're all tired, if not <laughs> not playing together. It's been it's been a while now since they've been fully healthy. I think right before they had the homestand, we we did a podcast. And we talked about uh, seeing that lineup with with Luca, Kyrie, Exum, and Lively, and we talked about how you know this homestand would really you know we get to really learn about this team and kind of see where they're going and see what lines really work. And we didn't get any of that. So <laughs> those guys did not play a single minute together in that homestand. There was guys in and out of the lineup the entire homestand. I think we didn't really learn anything about how they're going to play or what kind of team they are. But I think we did learn that they're a, a pretty resilient team and they're able to get results. I think they were able to build some confidence that they that they 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 can't they can't go out there and overperform their size deficiencies but they have to they their their effort level is really dictates whether or not they win a game like they can't they can't coast the wins when they don't especially when they don't have lively like they just can't they're not capable of doing that and i think it kind of shows they're a good team they have a high floor that they can still get results without luke nodrich without kyrie irving without Derek lively you know without whoever else is just missing from the lineup and that they can mix and match their their roster. They have a pretty deep roster. I think we talked talk about that before the beginning of the season is that they have a their 10 through 15 at the end of the branch is they're all at least NBA players. They don't have a lot of like guys who are just like completely awful. Um, and so I think that's helped them kind of right the ship while they've had so many injuries. Um, but I think we know that this team needs Luca, they need Kyrie, and they need Lively. But when they have those three together, they're a really good basketball team. And those guys, that's they're gonna have a really high floor and they should they should be in the top six. I think after they've weathered all those injuries and they still came out and there's seven games over 500 at the halfway point of the season, this is a team that should not be in the play in if they're able to get healthy. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, they, 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 they need their guys to play, you know, there's, there's still, still some inconsistency up and down the roster and the player I'm thinking of is like Josh green. And this was just such a good Josh green game. I thought Josh Green was just just really good on Monday. You know, yeah. uh, had a had a really nice layup and shot three or five on threes, and it probably should take a few more. But you know, just being able to be that type of player plus fourteen on the night for to the extent it matters. Um, you know, when 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 they're when they're one to five players play the way that the team expects. Um, when they're six to ten players play the way that they expect. When you could plug in one guy from the you know from the back five and, and they can give you a little bit of something, you know, maybe AJ Lawson, you know, I thought AJ Lawson played pretty well, uh, hit a big three at least. Um, yeah, it's it's a good team. We'll see how good they are when, when they get healthy and not a lot of updates on that front, but 
you know, I, I, I would imagine Luca plays this, this road trip. Uh, if, if not LA, then, then, then Golden State. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But we're still looking for answers, still looking for questions, you know, still have questions, still looking for answers, still trying to figure out how's this exactly going to go. But you can't look at that homestand and think anything else, but they did well. They did a good job and they've set them up, set themselves up with literally 41 more games to go, um, you know, to, to, to be in it and, and to, to, just see how high they can go. Yeah. So that's, that's it. That's it. And that, that Pelicans win was very important because it evened out the season series with them. Yeah. And it also put them back into sixth place. So that's that's a win that if they end up being the sixth seed, might be a win that that was a difference maker. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, that's it for me. You got anything else? That's it for me. All right. Uh this has been Austin and Tim. And this has been the Only Mavericks Podcast. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Hey, how's it going? What? What do you mean dozens? You sound insane. No, you're confused. Have you heard the song? Yeah, this is the only Mavericks Podcast to exist ever. This is the